A video has gone viral after a young Christian couple posted being caught off guard when a worship night in Dallas turned into an opportunity for a pastor to preach that Christians who oppose same-sex marriage are actually committing blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Rhett and Link are now promoting, and in the case of Link, even dressing as a drag queen after their joint deconstruction from the Christian faith. Stay with us as we look at these and other stories on the 511 News. Welcome back to the 511 News. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And on today's episode, we're going to be looking at a couple of different topics, but honestly, they're in the same vein, one of which deals with the famed, the YouTube stars, that is Rhett and Link, as well as a story of a worship night in Dallas that seems to be promoting a lot of false doctrine and misunderstandings of Scripture. But before we get into that, we would love if you guys feel led to make sure you subscribe to Good Fight Ministries, this channel, so you can get different videos. We try to get at least three different videos out every single week, and also click on that bell for the notification. And also, if you're listening via podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review because the likes and the five stars and all that stuff just gets these videos up at the top so that more and more people can see it. And hopefully, our goal is always the same. That is for 511 News to be able to warn the church of those things that are coming from the outside into the church and also those things that might be within that Paul warned about when he talked about some of his shipwrecks and some of the dangers he had to go through and some of which are the dangers among false brethren. And when it comes to that, this next video, this clip that we want to show you, shows you a little bit about where I would say a lot of the CCM music and a lot of these festivals that you might hear with Christian contemporary artists playing different music might be heading to. And in fact, sadly enough, when you actually look at some of their backgrounds, some of what they believe, some of what they practice, it's sadly more common for things like this to take place than it is for faithful preaching of the gospel. We were so excited to worship and hear the Word of God, but we didn't know what we were walking into. Worship was beautiful, but then... Now, I want to start off right away. I'm not someone who is talking about worship events and even events like this where someone comes out and preaches and I'm simply being someone from the outside judging what someone may be doing there in Dallas. Because I can tell you this, that I threw nine different shows that looked somewhat like this, where we would grab some of the top worship artists at the time and say, hey, we want you to come to bring a crowd so that we can preach the gospel. And a lot of times we'd have them play that music and then we would bring the gospel. Either I myself sometimes would go up there and we would literally call up somebody from the crowd and give them a good person test and express the gospel of Jesus Christ to a number of people. We worked with different drug rehabilitations at the time to actually showcase them so that people that were struggling, because we had a lot of heroin problems here in Simi Valley, where we're from, and in the local area around us as well, and we wanted to make sure there were places for people to go. And we did see a lot of fruit. And in fact, I was blessed enough to see people come off heroin and meth and 
and a ton of different drugs, even literally took someone uh, into our home that we I had to throw away his drugs and took him to a rehabilitation center and was able to preach the gospel to him and see him come clean. But those things were awesome, but I can tell you from that culture that it is very sad, not only where it's gone, but honestly, where it's been. I've had a number of artists that I would never in a million years even listen to anymore once I found out a little more of their background. And in all honesty, while it sounds like a great thing to do, and there are plenty, I'm sure, of wonderful Christian artists who really do love the Lord and are trying to serve Him, sadly, they are the exception and not the rule. And I had to learn that through the hard way. But what I'm saying is, you see this the music is played and then a message come. And a lot of times the way it works, you have different artists. All those artists bring crowds. You bring up the biggest artists right before the gospel is presented or whatever message. This guy seems to be promoting some other stuff. But nonetheless, that's kind of the premise. And then you usually let them finish off with one more song. So that's the idea. And I think for most people's intentions, I can say at least for mine and some of the people that I talk to as well, those seem like pretty good intentions, saying, hey, let's play worship music that is glorifying the Lord and to present the gospel. I've heard pastors say you can't use music to preach the gospel, and I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I think that Psalm 40, verses 3 through 5, say the exact opposite, because David said that the Lord put a new song on his heart, a song of praise to his God, and that many will hear of it and come to fear and put their trust in the Lord. There's positively nothing wrong with using music and presenting the gospel. I, I don't see any problem with that whatsoever. But to say that we're going to do this concert and the gospel's never preached, that's also something that is sad. But I give that long caveat to say, I can see how it may work. I'm telling you it didn't work for me, but I can see how it may work in some instances. But sadly enough, when it comes to this specific event— the Amen event that they were trying to do there in Dallas, this was to promote their church. And they think that this is a great way to hopefully fill their church. So what we're going to hear now are a number of different statements made by the pastor. And what we're going to do is go through them point by point and see, was he preaching a biblical message? And I'm going to just spoil it for you right now. It's not going to be biblical. They say, you can't drink. He says, I'm going to make wine at this party when we run out. Well, let's just start right there, okay? I, I want to give this caveat before I start talking about alcohol. One is which, that I am not a teetotaler, okay? I'm not one that preaches absolute positive abstinence from the church. I am going to also tell you that my personal conviction, I am a teetotaler in practice, but not in preaching. And the reason for that, and let me explain to you my conviction, is because of my life before I came to Christ. I was a drunkard, and I see no reason to set a flame or any play with any spark to set a flame a desire that I did prior to my salvation in Christ. And so for my personal conviction, I have no need for that. Also, when it comes to being in leadership, I would never want someone to walk by, think that I'm just having a sip or thinking that I may be tipsy. Look at that and think that that's okay for their life. Why do I say all that? And this is because this statement is one. And by the way, John chapter two, the first miracle that we have in John's gospel of Jesus in Cana, taking the water and turning it into wine. What a ridiculous statement that he is trying to 
I guess, imply that Jesus was about getting tipsy, that Jesus was about people getting drunk. If you guys actually go and look at the text in John chapter 2, and I'm saying this saying I know and I truly believe the scriptures are not a, you know, part of the prohibition movement necessarily. I I do not say that it is, but I think that John chapter 2 is a brutalized text that has nothing to do with getting drunk. And I think that it is dangerous what people do with that text because I have heard people use that text as a reason for going to bars and even getting tipsy. And sadly, I've actually had people to my face argue that you can get drunk because of John chapter 2 publicly, by the way. And so I bring this up and I I have to bring correction to start because that is a dangerous take, especially when we look at the text that whatever they were drinking, you could argue that there was alcohol in there, whatever they were drinking, they were able to drink enough of it to be full, have more that Jesus gave them and still not be drunk. How could I even infer that? Well, maybe because drunkenness is a sin. That That's a fact. Is there anyone who is going to argue that drunkenness is a sin? I do not think so. Uh, Habakkuk 2 actually warns about give, giving your neighbor drinks so that they will get drunk and that it's a woe, a judgment unto somebody. Jesus never sinned. And so if you are going to argue that in John chapter 2, they drank so much wine that they were full, Jesus gave them more and they didn't get drunk, then argue that and argue that whatever they were drinking had so little alcohol that you could get full of it and yet not get drunk. So I just want to say from the outset, The danger of this idea of public drunkenness as normative because of the miracle at Cana, I'm going to say I don't see anywhere in the text where you could argue that, especially if you're going to keep Jesus, the sinless lamb, that he absolutely and positively is. Does that make sense? All right, let's keep listening to the rest of his teaching. They say, I'm going to be judgmental. I'm supposed to be judgmental. Jesus says, you should not be judgmental. Otherwise, you will be judged. Okay, so I'm sure what he's trying to imply there, at least he's trying to look at text, is from Matthew chapter 7. Judge lest ye be judged. That is probably the only verse in all of the New Testament that even non-believers can quote and quote even in the King, the King James Version. But nonetheless, Matthew chapter 7, when we look at Matthew chapter 7, one of the things that it is warning against, actually the precise thing that it is warning against, is hypocrisy. Those who have a giant log in their eye attempting to take out the speck in their brother's eye, and they are judging hypocritically, especially when you look at Matthew chapter 7, and then when you get to verse 15 where we're told that we need to judge the fruits to understand a false prophet and to know that so clearly when you get to verses 21 through 23 that not everyone who says lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but those who do the will of jesus's father who is in heaven and so when you look at matthew chapter 7 and by the way just a help matthew 7 john 7 you can go to john 7 24 and jesus actually does say to judge jesus actually does say to judge he says to judge with righteous judgment. So obviously, it's not the Bible that's convoluted. It's this poor guy with this really weird twisting of Scripture. They say that nobody of the same sex should ever get married. Jesus goes mute on this issue. 
Jesus says love is sacred. There's only one unforgivable sin. The sin against the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And if you think preaching against love isn't blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, then I don't know what is. When people love each other, to break that up, that is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Well, let's talk a breakdown there of a number of things that he said. Okay, the first of which is that Jesus was silent on the matter of biblical sexual ethics. First of all, there's a theological problem with this person. This is somebody who should be nowhere near a teaching position. He should not be founding a church alongside his wife. He should not be teaching because he already has a fundamental understanding that is so far off that does not qualify him as a pastor. He should not be leading anyone. And he is a blind man leading blind people into a ditch. And sadly, he is trying to recruit more blind people through events just like this Amen Worship event that they put together. But when he says something like that, not understanding that the Jesus that we serve isn't a new God. (laughs) And sadly enough, that is exactly what the Gnostics taught. That is what Marcion taught. Marcion, the early church heretic that we see in the writings of Irenaeus of Lyon, we see so clearly him writing about Marcion and the dangers of Marcion and how he cut up the scriptures and said that there is a new God that we have now in Jesus. And he wanted to cut up the Old Testament to separate him from Jesus. In fact, later in this very thing, you actually hear him say that he doesn't equate the scriptures where Jesus talks and the rest of the scriptures as the same. We have to follow Jesus on another level. His words deserve to be the highest. He spoke for the Father. No one else spoke for the Father other than Jesus Christ. There are some people that want to treat the whole Bible as equal. Just not this guy. I'm sure he's mentioning that in light of LGBT issues with Paul specifically. But the problem is, is that you have to give get rid of all of the text of Scripture, even the red letter part, and we'll get into that. But when we understand New Testament theology, and ultimately the one that matters, Jesus' theology, the one that he describes, Jesus is the one in John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them in thy truth, thy word is truth. They were going to be sanctified through God's word. God's word at that time was the scriptures, the very thing that he said in Matthew 22 to the Sadducees, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? So this very man here that is preaching this nonsense, he is telling you, that Jesus's words are more important than this when Jesus is the one who literally told the Sadducees, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? Ultimately, when Moses, and he was quoting Exodus chapter three, when Moses wrote down what was God moved on him to write, according to second Peter chapter one, what he moved on him to write was not just him writing down things and ideas in his own mind, but he was writing down that which is theanustas, that which is God-breathed. And what he was writing down, God was speaking to them, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? 
God was speaking to them. So when God says that homosexuality is an abomination, guess what? That's it. End of the discussion. And by the way, Jesus said that was true. In fact, when you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, when you look at Genesis chapter 19, we know that Jesus was right there. How do we know that? Because it tells us in verse 24 that Yahweh in heaven hailed down fire and brimstone from Yahweh who was on the earth. We can clearly see that Jesus Christ was not idly standing by, and he certainly was not in disagreement with that. And in fact, that very thing that took place in Sodom and Gomorrah is also talked about in the book of Jude to warn of false teachers like this man, the the hidden reefs in your love feasts, the clouds without water, the ones who have been marked out long beforehand for this condemnation because they trade the grace of God for a license of immorality or for licentiousness. And guess what? That's exactly what it says because the very warning in Jude Bringing us back to what happened in Genesis chapter 19, that's how scripture works, that's how we work with scripture, he tells us that what was exhibited there is an example of the eternal flames that will take place. Guys, that is some serious stuff there, and this guy is dancing around that. Sadly enough, this is how, I I don't know if he's so uneducated or just a liar when it comes to the scriptures, I know that He's a doctor, but he's a dentist, so I don't know where his biblical acumen comes from. Not that I need to have some certificate. I think it was Leonard Ravenhill said you could have 33 degrees or 32 degrees and still be frozen. I agree with that sentiment, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with education. Men that I disciple are now in Bible college for a reason, to, to learn the Word of God. But when we look at this and we see this guy making statements like not allowing for gay marriage— By the way, the Bible does not allow for gay marriage. The Bible is very clear that we should not accept the things which the Bible goes against. We should not just be, okay, God is the one who ultimately designed marriage. He's the one who designed it. And Jesus quoted, if you want to quote Jesus, quote Jesus from Matthew chapter 19. He quotes about marriage. He also warns in Matthew 15 about the porneo, about all sexual morality, anything that happens outside of marriage. Marriage is something designed by God. There is no such thing as gay marriage. It doesn't exist. It's a married bachelor. It's a square circle. There is no such thing, okay? Because God is the one who defines marriage, and when God defines it, that's it. I don't need to even look at Webster's and see when it changed and see what the dictionaries online are saying. God defined it. That's it. We're done. There's no conversation after that. And the Bible says that you are a hypocrite, It says, love without hypocrisy, hate that which is evil. I hate the very things and inclinations that push people away from the word of God and push people towards false lies that the gospel that we have is the dunamis power of the gospel. The dunamis power of the gospel. That is exactly what Romans 1.16 says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is what? The dunamis, the power of salvation. And guess what? The cool thing about the gospel is the gospel saves. And not only does the gospel save, but also guess what? The gospel changes us. Later, he'll talk about how he doesn't want to change things sexually. God doesn't want to change your sexuality. He wants to change your mentality. Well, guess what? When your mind's renewed in the scriptures, your mentality is changed about sexuality. And you realize that God has confound 
marriage between one man and one woman together until death do them part. That's it. And so when you actually have the word of God written on your heart and have your mind renewed in it, you can throw teachings like this away and say, no, that's not what God has to say. And I want to encourage you guys to do that when you see this stuff. Uh, Dante Bo actually played at this concert and people wonder, well, does he affirm this and so forth? And if you actually go through some of their Instagram page, specifically his wife, he has made his Instagram private. Dr. Field Harrison is his name. His Instagram is private. But Sabrina Harrison, uh, who seems looks like a socialite if you go through her page, posts with Dante Bo a number of times. So it's not like they're new acquaintances where they might have just hired Dante for this worship night. It seems like they actually have a good standing relationship. And I would not be surprised if he knows exactly where they stand on this issue because Dante Bo, who was with Maverick City Music Group, was kicked out of Maverick City Music Group because of unreleased moral failings. And not that I think much of, of that band either and some of their collective, but nonetheless, this is just a reality. And these are the people that are helping them promote their church, promote these messages to push them up. And it all goes back to not having a clear understanding of what the scriptures clearly teach. Guys, the only reason any of this is important, the only reason the LGBT and all this stuff is any, any of it's important, because these are the very things that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that we are not to be deceived that we need to know and recognize that those who are sexually immoral, those who are homosexuals, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's the only reason I care about these issues. And so this is going to keep coming more and more into the church. You will have the waffles like waffling about like Andy Stanley on the issues. You will have teachers over and over again. This is what the Bible says will happen in the end times. And what does it lead to? When you do not have a biblical sexual ethic, what does it ultimately lead to? It ultimately leads to a lack of trust in the Word of God. Already, when you look at this Amen Church in Dallas, they're already wondering what parts of Scripture should we cut out? We should only read the red letters, or what parts of Scripture should we cut out? Even though, if you look at their statement of faith, if you want to call it that, doesn't seem to make that distinction for people that are just testing them out. But I say this with anecdotal evidence of none other than Rhett and Link. Because Rhett and Link did a podcast show, uh, I think it was about a year and a half ago, uh, where they actually detail their deconstruction of their faith. And of course, it's always intellectual. Every time they're going to tell you, I just had a struggle with this, I read Bart Ehrman, or I read this, and at first it was Hugh Ross, and then it was Bart Ehrman, and now I just don't believe. And then you can really see, when you see what happens, the fruit afterwards of that appeal. That was Joshua Harris as well. Um, a number of these deconstruction stories, when you look at them, they really hate the biblical sexual ethic. And now, not only do we have a promotion of Rhett and Link of drag queens, but you can actually see in this video, Link here getting dressed up as a drag queen. Hi, good morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I heard your daughter said that you think you can do this. I, yeah, I did say that. Well... Let's see if you can do it. You can be straight, you can be trans, you can be gay, you can be queer, you can be anything you want, and you can be a drag performer. You knew him as Link, but I want to welcome Topo Chica! Hit it! <laughs> Beautiful! Notice, of course, sadly enough, dressing up like a drag queen. Very, very sad, and, and it just points to their biblical sexual ethic, their denial of it. And he obviously expresses that in that video. 
And of course, you got to have exclusive uh, ways to see him fully dressed in drag rather than just getting painted up. But I, I want to bring this out, especially in light of what we celebrate uh, during the resurrection. Because here is what Rhett actually, and he was the one, sadly, it breaks my heart to think about, but he seems to have led the charge to not only deconstruct his faith, his wife, but also with Link and his wife. So now you have two married couples that no longer follow the Lord that at one point were at least professing faith. And I want you to hear what he says here and see the answer that we actually find in Scripture. When did you realize that you had your life together? (laughs) not yet alicia when did you realize you had your life together and he said not yet and i praise god for that not yet because the bible says in second peter chapter 3 verse 9 first of all right before that it warns about scoffers in the end times and sadly enough these men have become scoffers both rhett and link and he has helped to lead three other people at the very least away from the christian faith the true reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that hurts my heart to think about. But I do think at least there's some candidness there, laughing at the idea that he has his life figured out. And I'm not saying that as a believer or non-believer, you have everything figured out. But when you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you actually know the one who has it all figured out. You know the one who figured it all out for us, and we are learning those things in our lifetime. And I bring this out because Jesus Christ not only died, was buried, and rose again on the third day. And we celebrate that on the resurrection, first day of the week, the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day, and we celebrate that every single week. But specifically, more recently, we're going to be celebrating that, the fact that he died. But one thing I love is that most philosophies in this world, most of them, Just deal with the here and now, you know? There was an old saying, YOLO, you only live once, right? There's plenty of people who just live for today. This is all we got. You only got one life. You only got one chance. You might as well live it up. And the truth is, that is smashed and exploded and just flushed down a toilet by 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, after describing to the church in Corinth, in Greece, exactly what the gospel is, expressing to them, hey, these are the terrible things that are going on in your church, we need to fix them. But then he even warns about those who are denying that there is an afterlife. And he tells them in the beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel that he preached, that if they believe in and they stay, remain steadfast in it, that they will be saved unless they believe in vain. And he said that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes through the different evidences whether it's Peter, whether the apostles or James or the 500 in Corinth that would have seen the risen Lord, the one that in the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, it says he gave them many convincing proofs for over 40 days and 40 nights. And what that does, what the resurrection of Jesus Christ is gives us the stamp and the understanding that there is an afterlife. We know that there's something more than just this world. And in fact, Paul bases the rest of his life from the time he was a Pharisee and then repented and turned to the Lord. He bases everything off of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, that he saw the risen king. And this is what it says, starting in verse 12, in relation to not only the resurrection, that there is an afterlife, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, 
How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. You are wasting your time following this unless Christ raised. And here's what he says about the temporal gainings of just simply following Christ as a good teacher. This is what he says in verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still dead in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's nothing. It doesn't matter. They're gone. Who cares if they're in Christ? If we have hoped in Christ only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. It's not just for this life. Everything that matters is where you will spend eternity. Not this short little vapor of a life, but where you will spend eternity. And I and I just pray right now, this is the time for you to turn to Jesus, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, so that on the day of judgment, he will not see you and your sins, but he will see to tell us die, paid in full. You've been bought and paid for, and we can know it's true because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This has been Chad Davidson. This is the 511 News. The 511 News with Chad Davidson has been brought to you by Good Fight Ministries, bringing you news and commentary from a Christian perspective. This show can be heard every Friday wherever podcast shows are available or visit 511news.org. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to being with you next week on the 511 News.